0: You know, I haven't done a relationship series in a couple years, and uh, since we've moved to Fort Worth, since we replanted our church um, to reach every street and every heart in Fort Worth, amen, uh, I just felt like if there's a church and a movement that can address not just relationships, but all that the word love brings, C3 is it, and you will not find a movement more full of grace and yet more centered on truth. The ability to have one or the other is contingent on having the other. If you got too much grace, you lose your mind. If you got too much truth, you got no heart. And for many of us, what we find is one or the other. Um, When we don't worship God in spirit and in truth, we either get delusional or difficult. Right? If all we got is truth, we just become difficult people. We're just hard to be around. If all we got is spirit, We get a little delusional because we got nothing to anchor to. And I believe that Jesus tells us, right? He tells the one at the well, worship in spirit and in truth. And that's my heart for you because love isn't perfect. You know that, right? Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your boyfriend or girlfriend. Don't think of your ex. Love is not perfect. And for us as a church to kind of paint it that way would be a disservice to who we are as people, there is a lot of things built into this word love. Potential is one of them. Pain is also one of them. Beauty is one of them, but messiness is also one of them. God created Adam, he created Eve, and we've been dealing with that ever since. And everything that God intended and all that God had created in this word love, all the things that were spoken of, all the things it carries with it, God intended this thing to be good. And I think it's important for us as a church to talk about not just love, but the theology of love. What does it look like? How is it carried out? Because we tend to, um, we tend to use that word pretty liberally, don't we? And so I want to kind of dig into this and uh, talk a little bit about this over the next few weeks. And I really do believe that, um, that this will be a conversation for a lot of us. You know, I think the Bible is full of commands, but I also think the Bible is full of conversations as well. I don't believe God is a God who uh, talks to his people and only tells them what to do. I believe he's a, a God who speaks to his people and asks them and tells them who they are, uh, gets their opinion on things, gets their thought, and, and moves based upon our prayers and based upon what uh, God wants. And when we get those things synced up, when we pray his will and his purpose, things, man, they move in a different way. Um, and I believe God created love to be good. I just don't think it always is. You know it's funny to me because for many of us we're a generation so many of us uh, who are children of divorce we've seen the pain that it causes. So for some of us we have a we kind of have a push it off a little bit, delay it a little bit, worried about commitment, worried about certain things Um, but perfect love is never rejected. And if we can get an idea of what love really looks like, maybe we can receive it better. And maybe we can even give it better and begin to watch as those things work themselves out. And we are going to talk about a lot of things. Like I said, it's a conversation. We have a core value in our church that we would embrace the tension. I think the church does not do a good enough job of embracing the tension of how things are and how things might be and your view on things and my view on things. I think there's truth, but I also think there's tension in truth. And I believe there's things that we have to wrestle with. And I believe that if we are not willing to do that, then the the world will not be interested in what we have to say. I don't think the world rejects our answers as much as they're waiting for our questions. They're waiting for us to have the same questions that they have. They're waiting for us to wrestle with the same things they wrestle with. And if we're willing to wrestle with them, they might just jump in and wrestle with us. The idea that we uh, have all the answers. This is a, man, this does have it all, but it doesn't mean we always understand it or it always processed well or we totally get it. I mean, this is really based upon relationship more than anything else. And in relationship, there is a tension. Have you ever felt that in relationship? You walk, you get married and you go, man, this is great. And then you have to live with them. And then you realize there's tension involved. There's something that challenges you, and there's compromise, and there's a a, a purpose towards some things. And and we want to embrace the tension, because I believe as we embrace the tension, we will also bring freedom. I think there's only freedom when you actually begin to deal with the doubts and the discouragements and the depression and the hurts and the pains and and the expectations and the vision of what love really looks like. So you willing to go on that journey with me? I know for many of us, uh, you guys went to dinner parties. Dinner parties launched last Wednesday. Uh, from what I hear, they all went well. I uh, had a bunch of different wide ranging, how many people. I would just encourage you to get to dinner party. And please don't make dinner party just a holy huddle. That's a corny way of saying don't just invite you. Uh, bring somebody along, pray for your street, bring somebody from work, uh, tell them there's free food, and, and uh, let's get them involved in this discussion. Amen? Because we can learn from them as much as they can learn from us. And, and I really hope and I pray that this will be a series and, and a series of conversations that will bring freedom for people. And bring hope for people. And for many of us, I don't care what age you are or your background or what you've dealt with in your past. My goal and my desire is that you would walk through this and you would walk out of this thing encouraged and strengthened and and, and supported and knowing that we fight for you. We believe in what God wants for you. And we believe that God intended this to be good. Right? Right? And so one of the challenges we're going to face as we sit here and listen is to think about all the things that we have dealt with and all the things we have walked through and be willing to check that at the door based upon what Scripture says and based upon what God intends. so hard sometimes to, to look at love in a fresh way without thinking about what we saw our parents do or what we saw our friend go through or what, we, what we've dealt with ourselves. And my hope is that we can kind of walk as all things new, walk as new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen? And I love that we're a generational church, that we do not just have some young guns, and we do not just have old people. We have, uh, we have, I just, that's how you, what else do you want me to say, you know? Uh, no, here, let, Elder Statesman. You know what, though? Let me just, let me, let me just say something. Generations matter. And if you're older, embrace it. Because there's a young man or a young woman who needs to hear what you've been through. They don't need you to look like them, talk like them, act like them. They need to know that they can go to you, and you are not like all their friends, and you are not like everybody else. You've been through some stuff, and there is another word for that, and you've made it through, and you're on the other side, and you're showing up at church, and you're embracing what God has for you. They need to know that there is something on the other side But amen? And young people, listen, your voice matters. So they need to hear from you. They need to see the fire in your heart. They need to see that, you know what, there is something that I can fight for. I don't care what age I'm at. I can keep going after it. Amen? So let's go for it. Let's be generational. Let's be a church that embraces the fact that not everybody in my row looks exactly like me, because that is boring, and it's too easy. a generational church. But what is love? And don't sing the song. I know it popped into your head. And if it did pop into your head, you are old. All right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Uh, What is love? (laughs) You know, the other one that inspired me this week, I played it once. Actually, I didn't make it all the way through. Uh, Down with the DC talk. Love is a verb. I see, I don't even remember the words. And some of y'all don't know the song Way to Go. You held out. DC Talk. You need to go look it up. Love is a verb. They spell L-U-V because that was cool back in the day to misspell things. Actually, it's still cool. Misspell things and it makes you cool. Weird. But what is it? I mean, truly, what is the word love? And today is not... Here's the thing, we're going to talk about romance, we're going to talk about sexuality, we're going to talk about identity, we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about being single, and we're going to talk about being single and married in the same week, so you can't just check out on the marriage week and check out on the single week. They're all going to be important, they're all going to be necessary. At the end of it, we're going to do a Q&A. This is going to be good, all right? So I'm going to challenge you to invite somebody and bring them along. But um, that, this, I think we have to set a baseline today, and I, that's what I'm really hoping for, is that we would set kind of a... a, 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 a A foundation most times what happens in disagreements is we haven't figured out what we have in common and so we just keep floating further and further apart if we can have an anchor if we can have something that we define love by and the bible's really clear the author the authors of the bible are very strong about what this word love really is and for many of us we have to walk through this this prism we have to walk through this filter if any of the other weeks are going to make any sense And so while this may not sound like a real romantic, loving-type message, I, I promise you if you can set this as the baseline and this as the foundation for what love looks like, then it will help move us forward into every other discussion we're going to have and every other message we're going to preach. And it's an important message. It's an important thing. And for many of us, some of us think love is an emotional thing. It's just an emotion that you feel. In other words, it's a passive thing. It's what happens to you. The problem with falling in love is that you can fall out of love and that if it's purely an emotional thing, when your emotions are not good, you can kind of check out. And really what we're saying when we say it's purely emotional is it's how it makes us feel. It doesn't take a too smart a person to realize where that leads you. If you ain't making me feel good anymore, sorry. For some of us, it's tolerance. I love you because I tolerate you. Well, we should just love everybody. We should just tolerate it. The problem is tolerance, the difference between tolerance and apathy is very, very small. And the inability to speak truth in love to people is, is something the church is lacking. The ability to have a conversations and talk about things. Tolerance is fine. But the ability to actually still lean in when you need to lean in. To have discernment of the Holy Spirit and be able to speak when you need to speak. To, to invite somebody to cough. And buy them a coffee if you're going to you know, get into some heavy stuff, you know. And so for, for many of us, we can kind of think it's a tolerance thing or an apathy thing. And I, I think, uh, or, or sorry, or, or an emotional thing. And I don't, listen, I'm not getting on. You should feel something when you are in love, for sure. I just don't think you should think that you're going to feel it every minute of every day. I think you should base it on something that goes beyond feeling because feelings are fickle. They do not always work with what is true and what is necessary. And feelings can mess you up sometimes. How many of you have ever felt something that wasn't actually true? You felt it and then you went and actually had a conversation with a person you felt it against or for and you found out you didn't feel the right thing. So feelings can only take you so far. And if you base it purely on feelings, you will limit actually the joy that's found in what the Bible calls love. And so again, it, it, I don't want love to be a junk drawer of, of different things. How many of you have a drunk, junk drawer in your house? You know that drawer that ends up being, catches everything? I've got a junk drawer that has, uh, a, you could grab tape out of there. Uh, you could get batteries. Um, you could get coupons and, and candy. Like all of them exist in this drawer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got the junk drawer, and I think sometimes love looks like that, right? We define love that way. I love tacos. They go in there. I love Dallas Cowboys. They go in there. I love Meredith. She goes in there, and they all kind of fit in the same drawer, but I think what we're talking about is is different than that, right? I think love should have some levels, in other words. You need to start liking some things that you're loving and start loving some things that you're liking, I'm going to say that again because you are not amening me. I know we're in Fort Worth. We're polite people. I don't care. Stop being so polite. We need to start loving some things that we're only liking. We need to start liking some things that we're spending too much time loving. And I promise you, as you begin to sort out the things that work and you sort out the things you really should love, you will begin to watch as everything begins to come into alignment. Most of the issues you have in your marriage and most of the issues you have in your relationship is based on the fact that one of you or both of you are loving things you should only like and are liking things that you should really love. And so it's important for us to define what love really looks like. And so if, I'm going to, I'm going to go to 1 John. We're going to just take John's word for it today. Uh, John is the the apostle that Jesus loved and uh, he wrote that, but you know. I guess if you're writing in the Bible, you, you get to say it. But John knows love. He knows what it is to be loved by Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And so he speaks of what love actually looks like and what it means. And I, I think there actually is a, a, something really strong about the way he defines it. In 1 John 4, and we're going to read out of the message translation, so it probably l- will look a little different uh, than the translation you brought. Uh, but 1 John 4, verse 7 It reads like this, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Now that'll mess you up if you really begin to dig into that phrase. Because some people will go, well I can love people if I don't know God. And I think there's a level of truth to that in the, but I think, well we'll get into it. Again, I'm just talking levels here. Your full experience. Because remember what Jesus says to us is that he wants you to have love or life and life what? Abundant, full, overflowing. And so we can have love, but maybe not overflowing. And so I, I, There's some big things here. We're not going to talk about all of them today. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. That will mess with you too. If you refuse to love... You don't know the first thing about him. That's, that's heavy. It's difficult. Those are the verses you wish weren't in the Bible. Because God is love, so you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us. And his love becomes complete in us. Listen to this. Perfect love love perfect love we just heard a song about perfection for a night but this is perfect love and it's interesting this this verse here this perfect love verse right, it goes beyond the love as a feeling but it moves into this place of love as an action that this is love right that's a feeling and then that th- that this love came and showed up and died for me there's an action that this there's a there's a two part thing you can feel love but you also must act on it that there is a two part thing to this thing that, that we that we is a noun and a verb so so dc talk kind of had it right right love is a verb it is an action but it is also a feeling, it is also a noun, it is something that you experience, but it is something that we both feel and act upon, and that's really a lot of what the Bible talks about, is both something we have internally and something we work out externally. Uh, Talisha just talked about it a moment ago, faith and action, right? Faith and action. This perfect love, and it's interesting because the word, when you read that verse, you, you're challenged in what does it mean this is perfect love? Well, he talks about this is love, and then he says what love did, and then he begins to say we should love one another as God loved us. So perfect love is three things. One, that God is love. Two, that God loves us. And three, this is where perfect love comes in, that we love, born of his love, we love one another. That's when the love of God becomes complete and perfected, is when we have both known his love, who he is, and what he's done for us, and then we are able to express that and give that to other people. So when things are not perfect or not complete, it's because we have not acted upon the first two. Sometimes it stops with God as love. We don't fully understand that or fully believe that or have fully experienced that. And so we don't get the other two going. Or we we don't know the action, or we don't appreciate the fact that Jesus died on the cross, or we don't believe it, or we're we're just kind of wrestling with it, or we don't understand the implications of it. And when we understand those things, we begin to realize that this is love, that God loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross, to do away with the sin that kept us from life and love in him, and that we love one another. Now, like I said, this is not the romantic type of thing. We're not talking about a love that is just built on romance or built upon feelings or whether you got flowers or whether you didn't get flowers. This is a love that's built upon an unconditional, not just feeling, but decision about love towards others. And that's maybe the hardest part. You ever heard love is not a feeling, it's a choice? Yeah, again, I think it's both. But love is a decision. Love is a a choice. That's why it's not always easy. And that's why it's also not always clean. Sometimes it's a little messy. Sometimes it's a little difficult because you make the choice to stay in it and work through it. But I think there's a a better illustration maybe of what love really looks like if you wanted to turn to John chapter 13. In John 13, uh, Jesus knows this is his last Night, this is where John begins to record Jesus on his last night before he's going to be put on the cross. And he's going to begin the journey of redeeming us through the cross and his resurrection, bringing us life and life abundant, life overflowing. Jesus does something, and he actually, over the next couple chapters, begins to teach his disciples some key principles. But in John 13, he starts it with an action. Instead of teaching, he does something. And I love that we serve a God that is not just simply obsessed with commanding us to do something, but is is so uh, decisive and so uh, bent on showing us something. Isn't that good? I mean, there's a lot of religions out there, there's a lot of faiths and sets of beliefs that are all about what someone taught. And ours is not based simply upon what someone taught, but upon who someone was and is. That's why Jesus doesn't simply say that uh, obey these teachings. He actually says he is the truth. And Jesus doesn't just say go that way. He says he is the way. And he doesn't just say there's a life out there. He says I am the life. And then he stands up in the middle of a crowd and goes, hey, if anyone is heavy laden, anyone is burdened, come to me and I will give you life, rivers of living water. If you will come to me. Listen, Jesus was very distinct in this. He never just gave you a teaching to obey. He gave you a person to know. And that is what sets him apart from every other thing. So you can come at me and say, well, they're all the same. No. No, they're not. And no other religion would say we are the same. It's the person who doesn't want to decide that says we should all come together and be. No. Nobody says they're the same unless you don't believe in any of them. They're all different. And most of them are not based upon a personal relationship with Jesus or a personal relationship with God. They're all based upon what you do and how you act. So sorry if you messed that up. And Jesus is a a, a Savior who shows us what love looks like, doesn't just tell us what love looks like. Oh, that's so good. I love that he says, carry your cross, but he carried one too. I love that he doesn't just tell us to love, but he loved too. I love that he says, do this, and he did it too. I love that he showed up as a child, lived this life perfectly, and then said, okay, I'm going to give everything for you. I love that he does not ask for anything from us that he was not willing to do himself. I love that. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. So John chapter 13, let's read. So Jesus, before he gets into teaching his disciples, he knows it's his last night. He knows Judas has already begun the process of betraying him. John 13 says, Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave his world to go to the Father. Message translation again. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right up to the end. It was supper time, and the devil by now had Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. That's that's a, a sermon for another day, but... Most prophets would say, we went to heaven and came back to you. Jesus says, I was in heaven, I came to you, and I'm going back home. Jesus said his home was heaven. Nobody else ever said that. I didn't mean to get into apologetics today, but Jesus is unique. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples. This is it. This is the moment. This is where we begin to find out what love really looks like. He put on an apron. I want you you to think about Jesus, right? In all the pictures and all the movies you've seen, he takes off the robe of the rabbi and he puts on an apron. I want you to think about Jesus in an apron. And then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. How many of you wish you had a boss? that washed the disciples' feet? How many of you wish you had an employer who actually cared about you enough to make sure you were good? How many of you wish that was the way the world worked? How many of you wish we didn't just work from the top down, but we were actually people who served enough and loved people enough to not worry about what our status is? And so we began to get down now This job was typically a job for a slave. This was a job for someone who was a hired servant. This was not a job for the savior of the world. This is not even a job the disciples would do. This is a job for someone. And, and the reason it's a big deal, do you, anybody, I'm a flip-flop dude. I've only stopped wearing them because years ago I got in trouble from my grandpa for preaching in flip-flops. Okay? And he's passed away, but I know he can get to me. Okay? You just got to know my grandpa. I wore—I I I have flip-flops all the time. And then I realize there's shoes. When it's cold, you can wear shoes. It's amazing. But when I wear flip flops, when I wear them around, I don't, anybody know this? You get to the end of the day, you take those things off, ain't nobody coming near your feet. You kind of wish you could take your feet off, right? Like you wish you could put your feet in the closet. Like it, it is not clean, it is not nice. I don't know, maybe y'all walk only clean surfaces, but I, I just, every time I wear flip flops, my feet are gross. And what happened in Jerusalem, what would have happened in this day, is they would wear flip-flops all day long, and they'd walk around dirt. They'd walk around, Now I remember, they didn't have cars to drive them everywhere. They had animals, and animals, you know, they just go where they want to go. Uh, and, 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 I, and I mean that in multiple ways. They just, they just dropped anything where they wanted to drop it. And you, there was just stuff all over the place. And the reason it was reserved for a servant of slavery is because it was a messy, 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 messy job. You had to be paid to do it. And yet Jesus, knowing he's about to die, I want you to think about this. Jesus, knowing he's about to die, knowing he's about to give his life, knowing he's about to show the most amazing example of what love really looks like, doesn't stop and go, well, I'm about to die, I don't need to do this. He actually gets down on his knees, puts on an apron, and gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Because love... Love embraces the messy things in life. See, this is why 1 Corinthians 13 really doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. When you begin to read through love and what you have to do to have love, and you read 1 Corinthians 13, you begin to realize this love is, is born of something other than just our own humanity. You begin to understand that this love that endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, keeps no record of wrong, that kind of love, the one I read to people when they get married and I go, are you sure about this? Because this is a big deal. Are you sure? You can't keep any record of wrong. The fact that he didn't put his suit on the right way, you can't remember that. The fact that he forgot to order the flowers, you ain't got no flowers today at your wedding, you you don't get to remember that. That kind of, and, and ladies, you do things wrong too, but not nearly as much. You keep no record of wrong. I know who to make mad in this room. I don't, I'm not gonna mess with it. Keep no record of wrong. This kind of love that embraces the messy things in life, embraces where people where people have walked, embraces where people have lived their life, embraces where they went that day or that week or that year, embraces the things that they've dealt with in their past and in the things that they're dealing with in their present, embraces that and embraces their future. And this is why he washed their feet, because as we wash their feet, we widen our future together. We actually begin to open up ourselves, because Jesus knew that these men were going to carry his message to the into the earth. These are the same guys he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so here he is washing their feet, and he knew, he knew that he had to show them something. He knew he had to show them what love really looked like. If, he, if they're gonna carry this thing, if they're gonna walk this thing out, if they're gonna move this thing forward, then they need to fully understand what it's gonna take. And it applies to marriage, it applies to relationships, it, frankly, it applies to all relationships. See, see, our issue with a relationship is rarely that we don't like our spouse, but we just don't always like people. And the reason it's difficult to love our spouse is because the spouse is the one we know the most. We live with them. We know all the things they do wrong. When we're dating and, and, and we're not living together, we, we just send them along. Well, that was a good three hours. It's like grandkids. You just send them home. Well, that was fun. When you get married, everything changes, and it's actually been proven. Even if you're living together, the moment you say "I do," everything changes. The level of commitment and change, the fact that you're not wondering, "Are we? Are we not going to be? Are we going to have a future? Are we not going to have a future?" There's something that shifts when we understand that that love, at its core, at its core, yeah, we feel it, but we need to act upon it, and it causes us to get on our knees and wash the feet of those we love. That's, I know this is not the part you wanted me to tell you. You wanted me to tell you that love is just fun and it's beautiful and it just makes your heart free. And, it, you know, like Instagram filters, like it just like just flutters around and, you, you know. But love at, at the really the love that really gets us to the place we want to go in relationship starts at a place where you get on your knees and wash their feet. That's why it's hard. Because the greatest love always starts at a place where you're willing to serve. And so here he goes. He goes, uh, he gets down on his feet. And Peter says to a master, you can't wash my feet. You can't wash my feet. I, I, I love that. I think, well, I think love, I think the best kind of love surprises people. I, I think the world will know us by our love because it will surprise them. Because if love is serving, then it also means sacrificing. And sacrificing is not normal. And so then it surprises people. You know, we go over, and we're going to do this a bit more. We're going to start a street team here pretty soon, and, and we just need to be out there loving people because our vision is every street, isn't it? And so we're going to do a bit more of that direction, but, but when we go out there and we hand out waters for free on treaty trails, people don't, they're like, no, what do you, no, what would you put in there? Like, what did, it, because it's, no, you can't wash my, no, 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 you can't hand me a bottle of water. No, you can't, because we don't understand, like, that's not normal. For all the things we say we love, we don't understand when love actually goes that far. It should should teach us something that love still surprises us because it's bigger and deeper than we ever imagined it was. And we tend to relegate it to certain things and limit it in certain ways, and then it gets surprising when we actually see it in its purest and most powerful form. and So when Jesus gets on his knees and begins to wash his feet, Peter goes, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't wash my feet, this is, no. And then listen to what Jesus says after Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. Jesus answered, you don't understand what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted. No, you're not going to wash my feet ever. Peter loved to talk in extremes. You know, but I find that we're, we're also the same way. We tend to go to extremes. Extremes. That's why we have a tough time with the feeling and action thing. Well, no, 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 it's a feeling. We go way one direction. That's an action. We go way the other direction. We're going to realize those actually need to sync up spirit and truth. He says, no, 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 no. You can't wash my feet. Now listen, this is what he says. If I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. It doesn't necessarily make sense on the face of it, but... Surprising statement nonetheless, right? Well, you, I'm sorry. I've followed you for three years. You're telling me if I don't let you wash my feet now, I can't be a part of what you want to do next. I think, I think Jesus is trying to make the point. He's trying to help them to understand that the kind of love that I've brought into the world is not one that is too big and too important and too great that I couldn't wash your feet. And what I'm about to ask you to do into in going into all the world and make disciples is going to require of you to get on a knee every once in a while and wash somebody's feet. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, when it comes to marriage and relationship, it's the same thing. And many times what we have a tough time with is getting over our own point, getting over the fact that we're right or wrong. And I'm not telling you, we're going to talk about marriage. You've got to come back. But what I'm telling you is that at the base level, if we were all to understand that loving is best shown in serving, serving each other's purpose, serving each other's desires and wants, serving each other's future. In fact, in in May, we're going to do some C3 labs, we're going to call them. I'm really excited about this. Every Wednesday night. Each night we'll have a different topic. It's up to you if you want to go to all or one. And we're going to do one called marriage and mission. Marriage and mission. Because I believe a marriage is the greatest place, if you're married and you're doing leadership, your greatest testimony of leadership is in your marriage. And it is the thing through which everything else will flow. And if we can get aligned as husband and wife, and if we can get aligned as people, then something else begins to shift and we can get on mission. But we love people when we feel good. But do we love them enough to get on our knee and wash their feet? This is the kind of love that takes us to the next level. This is the kind of love that opens up a new future for people. This is Peter in response in verse 9. Master, not only my feet. This is, this is Peter. Here he goes, going crazy. Wait, wait, not only my feet. You should wash my hands and my head. We should do like have a bath. And Jesus goes, if you had a bath in the morning, you're good. I don't want to do that. You only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. He's not cleaning their feet just to make their feet clean. He's cleaning their feet to under- to help them understand that they're set apart. And I think that's what serving does to people, doesn't it? You know, when you, you come in here and we've got people welcoming you and making you coffee and, and taking watching your children and, and leading you in worship and, and you've got these things happening, there's something about that that makes you feel different. They make you feel a little more special. It makes you feel a little more important. It makes you feel something different because serving brings something out of people and it, it lifts them to a place where you go, oh, I didn't know I, didn't know I was important. But Jesus brings people to a place where they feel and understand how much they're valued. How much you're set apart. So now you're clean, but not every one of you, because he knew Judas was there. He probably gave him a little look. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back, sat right back at the table. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? You addressed me as teacher and master, and rightly so, that is what I am. So if I... The master and teacher washed your feet. You must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern, a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. There's something about washing somebody's feet. You know, my wife, uh, Pastor Meredith, she's not here this morning, our little one has been sick the last couple days and so she didn't get uh, to come but she has a uh, she stands on her feet a bunch when she goes and does hair she's a hairstylist, really good hit me up if you need a haircut I'm her manager I'm not but you know when she gets home and this is the feeling in action bit in action, you ready? I'm going to be transparent with you And some of you ladies are like this. Some of you fellas are like this. Stop it. She gets home, and and before we go to bed, she wants a foot rub. Yeah? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there are days where I am not interested. It's actually gotten to the point now where our son asks for a foot rub. My four-year-old son will put his foot on my leg. I say, Dad, rub my feet. Like, what? Why? You don't know. But I mean, the truth is, I, I'm not always, I'm not always into it. Like, I'm not, no, mm-mm. I don't feel like it, right? And I think sometimes, you know, the truth is, I never feel like it. Like, there is not a time where she gets home and I go, babe babe, can I please, can I please rub your feet? Maybe we'll talk about that later in the series. But I never feel like it. But there are days when I know, man, that's been a long day. We got back from out of town. We were at our C3 San Diego, C3 Americas Conference. Incredible to be a part of a movement of churches. 500 churches in the world growing by the day in some of the toughest parts of the world in every con- man it's unreal what we're a part of as a c3 movement as a c3 church but we got home and then thursday morning she got up and went to work went and picked up the boys watched them for a couple hours and went back to work and on her feet the entire time and i knew that day i'm gonna rub some feet tonight but here's what, why do i bring that up because it isn't always about what you feel in fact, what I found is the more I act upon what I know, the more I'll feel it as we go. That as I, as I, as I act upon it and I, and I go, oh, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of my wife tonight. I'm going to make sure she's good. Uh, there is never a time when I get done rubbing her feet and our relationship is worse. Ever. There is never a time when I have messed up. Like, you should not have rubbed my feet tonight. Ever. Love is about taking someone else's pains, someone else's future, and someone else's comfort, and someone else's purpose, and someone else's desires, and taking them into your hands and making sure you steward that and do your best with that. It's, It's making sure that we are loving people to the point of serving them, sacrificing them, and because of that, surprising them with what love actually feels like. And when we do that, the kind of love that we want to feel and the kind of love that we want to experience is found in a way we never found it before. The kind of love that we actually want is on the other side of being willing to get on a knee and rub somebody's feet, wash somebody's feet. It's on the other side of serving somebody to the degree that your own desires are not met all the time. Because the true form of love is loving someone at the expense of yourself. Of course the goal is not that you are always dying. But you know what? The Bible does kind of talk about dying to self, doesn't it? I've found, though, that Jesus never told us to die to ourselves so we'd stay dead. He, he didn't tell us to give away everything so we just have nothing. He did that so that he could fill our lives with what really will give us fulfillment. He did that so we could actually rise to new life in Christ Jesus. So that we can have abundant life in Him. The reason you need to rub somebody's feet is so you can have the marriage you've always wanted. So you can have the relationship you've always wanted. The thing keeping you from having a real life-giving relationship is not always the fact that people don't love you. so that you won't wash their feet. And listen, ladies, if you ain't got somebody who will wash your feet, they need to move on they need to move on and, 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 and please don't take that literal, I'm not trying to get somebody in trouble, I'm telling you though that if you don't have someone who will bend over backwards to make sure that you are taken care of, that you are served and you are loved, that is not willing to give up some things that they love, that they should only be liking, then you need to go alright I'll see you later now if you're married let's talk about that 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 is, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? When someone's not washing your feet, when someone's not serving you, what do we do there? We're going to talk about that, but I want to, I want to say this, and I want this to be really, really important. I want this to be the thing you walk away with today. Just a little bit later, 1 John, that we'd read earlier, just a few verses later, he said, he says this, We love because he first loved us. Everything we're talking about today is not born out of your own strength. It's not born out of your own. It's born out of the fact that he loves you. He gave everything for you. And if you were sitting here and he was sitting here, he would wash your feet. I want you to hear me because, and again, I know we don't fully understand the concept or the gravity of washing someone's feet. But if you just thought about it right now, Jesus showed up and he was sitting here and you needed to know how much he loved you, he'd get down on a knee. And you wash your feet. He'd make sure you're taken care of. Jesus loves you. And it's out of that, when we get wholeness and fullness, that we're going to walk in a different way towards other people. God is love. He loved us. So let's love one another. And in this is perfect love. So sex goes back to the same principle. Romance goes back to the same principle. Identity goes back to this exact principle. Everything goes back to the pattern he's set for us, that this is what love looks like. Not just sounds like this is what it looks like. For us today, my challenge to you is, will you receive his love? And in that, make it perfect by giving it away. Because he embraced our mess. Will we embrace each other's? Everything we do from here on out will come back to that principle and that truth. And you're, if you're married, where can I serve? Where can I serve my spouse? It's amazing when both of you get on that same page that we're going to serve one another. If you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you've, if you've dealt with something, I want to just, where can you serve someone? I know that's weird, but I'm I'm hurting. I know. I know. He's going to embrace your mess. He's going to embrace your hurt. He's going to embrace your pain. He's going to take care of you. Where can you give that away? And watch this thing be perfected in your life. He loves you. He gave everything for you. Nothing he's not willing to do for you. Because after this, he washes their feet. And then he goes what? He goes to the cross. That's the the God we serve. Amen? So everything we do from here on out is based upon this. We love because he first loved us. And that is all we ever need to know. Amen? We bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us, that you're for us, that you fought for us, that you've done everything to make sure that we know You love us. God, I pray that we would walk in your purpose, walk in your desire for us. And God, I know that there are some very real, very real hurts, pains, some very real challenges. Lord, some very real disagreements about what love looks like, about what our identity is. Lord, uh, across our country and really across the world, This word, love, is at the forefront. It's a part of every narrative, from identity to sexuality, from marriage to being single to divorce. God, it's a part of everything. God, I pray that we would get a real clear view. God, we should be, of all people, we should be people who know what it looks like to love, to be able to put in the pattern of washing someone else's feet, so that we might widen our future together. God, everything I'm doing opens up a brand new door to what God has for me and what God has for us. But God, I pray over these next few weeks that you would release people from hurt, that you'd release people from unforgiveness, God, they're still holding on to pain, and it's, it's filtering through every other relationship they have. Well, they don't love me, or they don't care about me, or they're not going to do this to me, or they're not taking care of that, or this is not going to, or God, you're not fair, or God, you haven't taken care of me, or God, you're not, God, I pray this year and this month and these next few weeks, everything changes. And that verse that John says, John, the one who walked with Jesus, says, man, he loved me before I loved him. But Peter, he washed my feet. He did the job of a slave, of a servant. And then he died on the cross. Man, I've given everything for him. That's the kind of love I walk with. And some of us today, right now, I'm not wanting you to focus necessarily on the love you're giving. Because there's a very good chance that the part of the reason we aren't giving it is because we haven't quite received it at the level that he's given it. We haven't quite received that he's forgiven every sin. The messy, dirty, nasty sin. The failures, the frustrations. He's made a way through all of it to him. So that we might have relationship with him. Because what sin destroyed was relationship. So Jesus came so we could have relationship, not just righteousness. God, I pray that today we would receive the love of a Savior that gets down on a knee and washes our feet, embraces our mess, and then dies for it, and gives us a new life, and a new hope, and a new future. If that's you today, and you say, you know what? I need to embrace it. I need to live in it. I need to receive it. I haven't received the forgiveness for what was. I haven't walked in newness of life. And I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I've tried to somehow forgive it by myself. Because you renew our mind, and it's you who transforms us. So where we can't forgive, you can. And where we have a tough time moving on, you can. And where we have a difficult time loving others, you will. And, God, if we would just surrender our lives to you, you would make all things new. And you would move things down the line. And you would help us take step after step after step. And as we get out of our own heads and as we serve one another, you will open up new doors and you would widen our future. If that's you today and you say, I need to embrace that, I need to surrender to that, I need to walk in that kind of love, I don't want to just walk guided by feelings anymore, I don't want to just be guided by tolerance, I want to live in a love that goes beyond tolerating somebody and goes to serving somebody, I want to go beyond a love that just feels for somebody but goes to serving somebody, I want to be somebody who watches what you do and does it myself, I want to live that pattern. And you go, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my love to Jesus. I want to surrender my past loves and my past relationships to Jesus. I want to walk in the newness of life. That's open to you today. That's free to you today. If that's you today, would you just, I mean, I just, gosh. God so badly wants that for you. God so badly desires that for you. I just, I can already tell. This is going to be one of the most incredible few weeks together. Challenging, but incredible. He's going to set some people free. I'm already, I just feel, I just know the Holy Spirit's doing that right now. Is that you today and you say, I want to surrender to that kind of love. I want to give my life to that kind of love. I want to be that kind of person. I want to know that kind of Savior. Wherever you're at in your journey of faith, touch you. Would you just right now, boldly, courageously, knowing that we're for you, would you just right now raise your hand high in the air? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, courageously. Thank you. Come on, we're with you. We're for you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Thank you so much. Man, it's fantastic. Come on. Anybody else? Surrender to this thing. Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Thank God so you put your hands down. If anybody else, I just want to pray with you. I want to agree with you. God has more than what you ever expected. God, we pray right now over every life and over every heart. God, we pray here and now, not next week, not three weeks from now when we speak on that topic or that thing. God, now begin to reset our hearts, begin to renew our minds. God, let us be a place where we understand how much you love us. And I don't mean just understand it with our mind, but think upon it in our hearts. God, I pray you would make things new. Holy Spirit, now, do what only you can do. Help us to love people fully, completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, would you stand up?